0: This is the MG Car Club Podcast. On this week's episode, Around the World, in an MG midget, we speak to Roy Lowcock. The MG Car Club Podcast. Hello, welcome to another MG Car Club Podcast. Wayne Scott with you, and another episode of fantastic, inspirational MG talk ahead now the opportunity to talk about events has been a long time coming on this podcast so you'll excuse me if i get a little bit excited about the fact that we've only got three weeks to go until mgf 25 tickets are still available you can get them via the british motor museum website at britishmotormuseum.co.uk there's also links from the mg car club website as well but time is running out to book you need to get your advance tickets you can't just turn up on the day for this almost 500 cars have already booked making this the biggest mgf event ever certainly bigger than mgf 20 i think everyone's just desperate to get out aren't they me included uh, discounted tickets at a rate of 10 pound each offers a four pound 50 per person reduction on the normal price of going to the british motor museum not only do you get access to the museum but of course you get all of those hundreds of mgf celebrating the 25th anniversary all together in the grounds of the british motor museum i know the team at the mgf register have worked their little socks off to bring this event to us this year despite the fact that it was cancelled due to covid in 2020 so it definitely is well deserving of your support it's just going to be a great day out three weeks to go get your tickets now britishmotormuseum.co.uk is under the what's on button there you can buy your tickets online to make sure you have a place at mgf 25 Saturday the 24th of July the British Motor Museum at Gaydon and the event excitement continues because the Triumph and MG weekend is just over 2 months away and we've already closed the gallery competition where we're going to be displaying all of your amazing MG artwork thanks to the over 70 entries we've had on that really looking forward to seeing those on display at Malvern uh, between the 13th and 15th of August also, a new feature of the Triumph and MG weekend just announced this week is the addition of the opportunity to look around the Morgan factory. Now, of course, the show is being based at the Three Counties Showground in the shadow of the Malvern Hills. And up there in those hills, at Malvern Link, is where Morgans are made. They're not made on a big robotic production line. Genuine craftsmen and women are putting these cars together still with their bare hands, and you can watch it as part of the tours. You can follow the links to get your tickets and secure your place on the Morgan Tour on the 13th of August as part of the Triumph and MG weekend by clicking the links from the weekly newsletter. Or, of course, you can go and get your tickets straight from triumphandmgweekend.com. And all the tickets are available to buy on there. Currently, as restrictions are still in place, the Triumph and MG weekend, by the way, is still advanced tickets only. So if you haven't got yours yet, please don't risk missing out. Make sure you get yours get online now Triumphandmgweekend.com. also you can click the what's on button on the website there you can see all the details of how you can enter the california cup in your mg that's the legendary and historic auto test here in the mg car club you can enter the three counties road run as well that's open for entries now all the details online and of course the concourse and pride of ownership uh, competitions which are also open now. There's a simple form you have to fill out there, it's all free to enter. And it'd be great to show off some of the best MGs in the country in Avon Hall in the Three Counties Showground. Plus, of course, all of the anniversary stuff going on 60 years of the MG Midget and 20 years of the MG Zs. So much to celebrate. Make sure you're with us 13th to the 15th of August, the Triumph and MG weekend at triumphandmgweekend.com. For your tickets. Now we're travelling around the world in an MG Midget, a 1977 MG Midget with a 1500 engine and rubber bumpers, and she's called Bridget. Roy's her owner, and he'll tell us the full story of how he covered 39,000 miles with her next. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast well the mg midget celebrates 60 years this year and as part of our celebration of that we're talking to some of you the mg midget owners in the mg car club and this is a really inspirational story roy took his mg midget bridget the midget that is a 1577 rubber bumper model over 39,000 miles around the world It was a trip that would see him travel through 52 countries, including two war zones and one that supported children's charities as well. To find out more, let's talk to Roy. Welcome to the podcast, Roy Lowcock.
1: Hi there, how are we doing?
0: Very good, thanks. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about Bridget the Midget because it's an epic story uh, of amazing journeys and travels you must have some phenomenal memories from the trips we're about to talk about but this is the thing isn't it midgets although 60 years old this year they're tough little cookies aren't they
1: yes they are i, I uh, hesitate really on, on that only because bridget of course is a 1500 uh midget and had the reputation of being probably the least reliable of the bunch. I got mine on a, an impulse purchase. Uh, there was a dealership I used to pass daily going and out of work. And on my last night uh, leaving work, I actually just decided to go in and buy whatever car they actually had in the showroom that day. So I could easily have been a Triumph owner or <laughs> or, or something similar. But as it happened, they had the uh, they had my midget in there, um, so I bought it, took it home, and no one told me about its reputation. Uh, in fact, nobody told me anything about midgets at all.
0: Where did the idea then come from taking this diminutive little sports car? And let's be honest when we're driving our midgets on daily roads in daily traffic they are tiny aren't they (laughs) you know uh, modern cars are so big it wouldn't be the natural choice for a sort of car that you'd like to drive around the world but drive it around the world you did so where did that idea come from was it the usual uh you know sat in the pub on a beer mat job or was it a lifelong ambition
1: I actually took it first of all, over to the continent and did a a quick circuit of uh, Spain and Italy and came back after four four months. I did, I think about 7,000 miles over there. And I just discovered what I consider complete freedom uh, where I wake up in the morning, decide what I was, where I was going to go, if I was going to go anywhere uh, and then just got in the car and drove and, I didn't have to answer to anybody. I didn't have to be anywhere at a particular time. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, that, as I say, lasted four months. Came back to the UK, decided the car had behaved itself so well, I ought to uh, basically give it a new set of clothes. So I decided to strip it right down, respray it, and uh, turned her into British Racing Green from the original black that she had been, and whilst I was doing that, my neighbour came over one day and uh, asked me the question, what are you going to do now? And so uh, I wasn't in the best of sorts at the time, having just skinned my knuckles on doing something underneath. (laughs) So I said, well, I'm going to drive the uh, thing around the world and he said oh no no you can't do that not in this sort of car that was red rag to the ball I guess Um, (laughs) I enjoy a challenge so I I just upped and left Uh, and that was the that was the objective just to get round. no time scales no routes uh, in fact very little at all other than a few visas
0: amazing I mean you know you would think Putting a rally together or uh, planning a, a big trip like this, people spend years poring over maps and route books and guides and doing reccees, but you literally just turned the key and drove off and hoped you made it, <laughs> by the sounds of it.
1: Well, I work on the basis. I'm never sure that I've got years to plan anything. So, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, from the day I said I would do it to the day I left was 12 weeks, I believe. Wow. Um, There's not a lot you can do in planning for over 12 weeks. So as I say, I just collected some visas and generally decided I would go west. Uh, And the main idea was to follow the sun.
0: Were there particular parts of the world that you really wanted to link into this route? Were there places that you really did want to see?
1: To be absolutely honest, I didn't give it a great deal of thought, Wayne. Um, I just enjoy traveling. Um, I enjoy driving, Uh, particularly the midget. It's great fun. It's the most fun of any car I've ever driven. Um, So, yeah, as long as I was doing those two things, I was going to be happy. I've always wanted to know what's over the next hill. Uh, and I enjoy meeting new people in completely new cultures mm-hmm. and finding out really what are these people like because we all get an impression of people in different countries uh, and what they're like and the sort of lives they live from the press and the press are notoriously inaccurate in most of their reporting, mm. I'm afraid. <laughs> so, I yeah, I just love going around and and, uh, meeting these people.
0: And I guess it's a different approach to meeting people when you are undertaking a challenge and you're actually traveling through their country and through their communities, as opposed to turning up on a package holiday and sort of getting wheeled into a tourist area. I mean, along the way, you have to stay with people and interact with people within their normal daily lives, don't you?
1: Oh, very, very much so. and it's amazing how you can be in areas of the world where they've got true poverty. Well, I mean, we talk about poverty in this country, but frankly, we're so far off the mark, it's not true. Uh, the poverty in some of these countries, we, you know, you have children sifting through waste bins, looking for anything which might be uh, saleable or edible. Um, and yet they are charming uh people to speak with uh they will offer you a drink of of a type you know even a coca cola is an absolute luxury to these people uh and they are very very quick to offer it to you uh even if they haven't got one left for themselves i the generosity is amazing
0: and how was the midget received by some of the people you met along the way (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah. varying uh, responses. There were uh, a group of ladies in Romania who uh, went absolutely wild when, as I drove down into the town towards them. And I, I, to the point I thought, well, there must be a pop star or something following me. What the hell is this all about? <laughs> so you, you get that sort of reaction. Uh, uh, And the the other end of the scale, you get the the children, which uh, are fantastic. And invariably are all over the world. Children would actually come running over to see the car. They wanted to climb in it. Of course, they wanted to climb over it, run over it, just touch it. Um, And I was always being asked in India, it's notable. The first question always with the people in India was, what does it cost? Really? <laughs> yeah. Um That's usually followed by what is it? You will get then the kids asking, "Is it a Ferrari? Is it a Lamborghini?" So I say yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, the reaction, as I say, is, is just so varied.
0: Were there ever points on the journey where perhaps you were in a war-torn area or or, or somewhere new where you actually felt a little bit vulnerable when you were touring?
1: um i'm a weird person uh when it comes to things like vulnerability I, uh so no, i don't generally tend to be uh swayed by uh, armed people even when i sensibly should be so but i yes i i mean there's been two instances really notable ones uh one in pakistan where having uh, traveled along the robber's road as it's called, which is 400 miles of road or track uh, just 30 miles from Afghanistan, most of the way. And I arrived in the safe city of Quetta. Well, that's what I was told. Um, uh, The morning I was leaving 5 AM, we had incoming mortar fire, small arms fire for about an hour. Um, and in fact, since I have, well, yeah, since since that whole journey, in fact, only uh, four, three, four months ago, uh, on the news, the same hotel that I was in uh, was back in the news, be having been attacked by uh, one of these suicide bombers, basically mm. from whichever political sphere it is. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we you know we had had that sort of experience and on my more recent, uh, track down to South Africa, uh, I went through Syria, which uh, at the beginning of its civil war, but I work on the basis that they're not really interested in me. You know, I just happen to be there and driving around in a funny little car. So they don't see me as a threat. Um, So I just, I'm allowed to carry on my way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There are parts of the world where I suppose we're used to seeing journalists in protective gear uh, with special permissions from embassies in order to go there and film and and to be present. Um, Were were there any parts along the journey where you you had to take a detour or change the route because just the political situation wouldn't allow you to progress on a certain route?
1: In Syria, we were barred. By the army from actually going on the route, we and they turned us around and sent us back for a diversion. Um, but only after I'd had quite an argument with the, the commanding officer there. Um, but normally, you know, I mean, things like uh, the Pakistan incident, I won't allow terrorists basically to change my mind of what I'm doing. So I work on a basis of no turning back, which is not only when it's people, uh, even with nature. When in Australia, faced with uh, considerable flooding in the Northern Territories, uh, the main road that I was traveling on was completely washed out, um, and I ended up having to spend four weeks in a little tiny mining town uh, until they rebuilt the road and it was passable again, purely on the basis that I didn't want to go back because I'd already been there and what I wanted to see was forward. So I just wait until I can get through.
0: We've already mentioned that the fact that the midget is small, it doesn't have a lot of packing capacity. So what did you do on those long stretches where there was the possibility there wouldn't be any supplies for you? How did you carry spares and food and how did you fit it all in?
1: Well, uh, yeah, on those sort of tours... I just fill the boot with spares, various spares, which I think I may or may not need. One or two, which you think you won't need, but I put in there just in case because of sods law. Um, My, or behind the seats uh, in the car, I will put all my emergency equipment. So things like tents and sleeping bags and uh, even rations in some cases, um, water, in a container. So that's all behind the seats and then clothes in uh, a sports bag in the uh, passenger compartment. I don't carry passengers. So I find that I can travel reasonably light. It's just a a few changes of underwear and a couple of t-shirts
0: some of the terrain would have been quite rough you know parts of the world don't have the tarmac to metal roads that we're used to here in the uk so knowing the fact that also you only had 12 weeks to prepare for this there can't have been a lot of scope for modifying the midget an awful lot so what preparations mechanically did you make and what broke along the way what can we learn about midgets from (laughs) the tests that you've put this one under
1: you can probably learn that a Land Rover would be better. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, The only modification I did to the car was to put a uh, sump guide on it. Um, I was told by the um, international rally organization that uh, I should change the suspension, raise the car higher off the ground, all sorts of things. But, um, the sump guard was the only one I actually took to hire. I fitted that. The only problem with that being that it reduced the clearance off the ground by down to about two and a quarter inches. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that actual modification was worthwhile. It it took a great deal of punishment, which otherwise would have, the sump would have taken.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, we obviously see uh, cars stricken by the roadside even just here in the uk with electrical items especially uh distributed caps and rotor arms and things like that what was the attrition rate on electrics on the midget
1: um i had very little problems there um i mean i i would certainly do things like changing the spark plugs uh every ten thousand miles or so uh but, uh, yeah, other parts, really, no great problem. I, uh, the only thing that I regularly had to tend to were the carburetors. Uh, I, I had never mastered the the, the 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 way of balancing the damn things, and certainly not with a tube in my ear, which is the recommended manner of doing it, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that after sort of eight hours driving uh it would start to play up a little bit it coughed and spluttered so i packed up took a walk came back when it's cooler and uh carried on
0: <laughs> it's incredible that this little midget took such punishment in in almost standard trim as well you know it's a real accolade for the car that it. uh it did this um you know and and ironic i suppose as well that here we are in the uk we have big debates in the classic car world at the moment over the quality of petrol e5 e10 all that kind of stuff i mean presumably you just had to fill up with whatever the heck you could find half of it probably made up of animal urine and slurry probably as well
1: (laughs) well yeah it certainly did vary um i did carry with me a special filter that I'd got from the states which claimed uh, it would filter out anything including water um, which I did test before I left and sure enough you could actually if you just poured water straight into the filter it just stayed there um so it was a very good filter and I used that very often in countries like Pakistan India etc where The level, the octane of the fuel at best was 84. And uh, in some cases, certainly in Pakistan, you couldn't be at all sure what actually was getting poured into the tank. Um, Certainly when I crossed the border from Iran into Pakistan for the first four, nearly five miles, stacked all the way along the side of the road are containers full of fuel of some sort or other, um, and people standing around waiting and you just pulled up alongside, asked for, uh, unleaded, and, uh, they would stand there smoking and pouring the fuel in. (laughs) (laughs) You you were well advised to stand clear. (laughs) Um, But what the grade of fuel was is anybody's guess, really
0: it's ironic as well isn't it really when you think that in 1961 and you know we appreciate this is a 77 car we're talking about here but the basic design of the midget hadn't changed really from 1961 when you go back to 60 years ago when that midget was launched foreign travel really was the preserve of the rich still wasn't it when these cars were brand new so it's amazing to to take that car from that era and now in the days where we're used to being able to, in normal times, you know, pre-Covid, uh, jump on a ferry and drive our UK cars anywhere we like in the world. There's something quite special in that, isn't it? In taking something from the past where this wasn't possible and doing it today when it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was very much the challenge as far as I'm concerned. And I, I do enjoy a challenge when I'm travelling. <laughs> um I, and it, yeah, I, now and again, it, you know, I had serious things I had to do to the car. Um, when I was up in the northern territories of Australia, uh, she started misfiring really quite badly, and you know, I rather guessed that uh, the problem was probably either one of the cylinders or at least uh, one of the rings, and. Uh, I couldn't get particular, any great help in Darwin. So decided that uh, I would actually make my way back to Perth where I knew I could get assistance. So uh, I was driving on three cylinders for just around about 3000 miles and it still carried going. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, But once I did get down there, I had to rebuild the engine altogether. Just keep going and keep going. It's amazing. It really is amazing at times.
0: Incredible. You you managed to find the parts despite being out in the outback of Australia, which is is even better. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Australia is very well served with MG car clubs. Um, And they are just like MG car clubs all over the world, very friendly, extremely helpful. Uh, The MG specialist in Perth uh, actually made space for me in their workshop. Uh, let me have all the tools I wanted, all the, the spares I needed, uh, and were even turning away business when I said, you know, when, when I was there. Uh, and I said, you know, you can't do that. This is your livelihood. And uh, their reaction was, ah, that's all right. They'll come back. But, uh, you know, e- every bit of help that I could possibly need. Uh, so uh, that was in, as I say, in Australia, but I've come across exactly the same uh spirit in south america in argentina uh in south africa uh it just seems to be the mg values all around the world
0: well we talk a lot about the international mg community here on this podcast many of the international mg community listen to this podcast there's a great thing about this medium we can all be talking to each other no matter where in the world we are and it's an incredible thing, isn't it, that that little car built in a, a relatively little factory in Abingdon has a community and a, and a family, a genuine family right across the world. And you've probably had the best opportunity to be exposed to that around the world than anyone, really. And it, it's, an, it's a phenomenal thing, isn't it, this, this worldwide community of MG fans?
1: Oh, very much so. And it goes right across the spectrum of people. Um, in, uh, in India, I was waylaid by a gentleman that turned out to be the chief mechanic for the Maharana of Udaipur, um, who had a huge collection of, of cars, Rolls Royce down to Morris Minor, uh, and included in there was an MGTC. Um, so it goes from sort of that end of the spectrum, uh, there were yeah down to uh, a, a guy on a station in Australia who uh, has got an MGB stuck in the hut at the back.
0: <laughs> so it's it, it, yeah,
1: it's quite incredible.
0: What were some of the highlights along the way when you really had to stand back and and sort of take it in?
1: I guess the driving probably in South America is uh, is the most spectacular driving that is in my mind from anywhere. Uh, You have the, uh, the the mountain ranges and what I love is the desert on the top. So it's the Atacama desert uh, on top of the Rockies and it, it is, the driving there is quite phenomenal. The, the nature of course, in Africa is absolutely amazing. All the animals which you normally only see in zoos or on television, Uh, And to see them wandering around, in some cases, quite close to the motor car. (laughs) Uh, And a midget by the side of an elephant is uh, a sight to behold.
0: I can imagine people are listening to this podcast now, getting thoroughly inspired by all of this and perhaps toying with the idea of doing it themselves. What would your advice be to someone who is thinking of doing a similar challenge? Perhaps in a midget, it could be any other MG what would be your advice Some top tips that you could pass on?
1: Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I uh, always travel alone. And the main reason for that is that you do get into situations where making a decision to do one thing or the other for yourself is absolutely fine. Uh, but it's not a decision I would want to make for other people. So I rarely advise people on doing these journeys because it depends very much on your personal take on life. Um, and I, I mean, I have uh, no concerns about dying because it's going to happen sooner or later. So uh, if it happens whilst I'm on one of my journeys, probably uh, not a bad thing as far as I'm concerned because I'd be doing what I like. Uh, You can't make, you know, you can't give advice to other people about how they treat their life. And that has to be a consideration if you're going to do some of these journeys because clearly it's through areas which could be considered uh, a little unstable.
0: There are genuine risks to take account of then is basically what you're saying are
1: there, there are indeed I, the problem probably the biggest risk is actually driving on the roads in some of those countries there's a lot of death by driving over here in some of those countries it's very obvious why the, the, the risk is even greater there and driving thirty nine thousand miles in a silly little car it's got to be a far bigger risk than a a terrorist bomb or bullet or whatever Mm
0: -hmm. well they often say about motorsport the most dangerous part of the day is the drive to and from the race circuit and then in that sense it's it's kind of the same um have you got any other plans for other big expeditions and will it be the midget that you take if you do
1: yes and yes (laughs) i should in fact be on the road right now. I, I was due to leave in June this year, uh, and it would have been across Europe, Russia, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, Japan, and then down through Southeast Asia to New Zealand and Australia. Uh, clearly, I've had to put that on hold. Um, I spoke to a number of countries about it, visas. And they invariably said, yes, we'll issue a visa. However, uh, we can't guarantee you'll be allowed in the country. And if we do let you in, you'll have to uh, spend anything up to two weeks uh, confined to barracks. And that would have added six months to the journey. So it was just not practical. So that has now been postponed to June next year. uh, And certainly that will be in the midget.
0: You must have a tremendous bond with that little car by now. <laughs> it only at times. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: uh, yeah, I it's it, what it's achieved is is pretty amazing. Uh I think she's done around about 200 000 miles now. So asking her to do a lot more would be uh wouldn't be good for it so we'll make this a retirement uh, run Mm
0: -hmm. well if you want to see more pictures and learn more about bridget the midget's amazing journeys some of the sites it's seen uh, actually roy has a website you can find it at bridgetthemidget.co.uk and of course you can find the articles in safety fast magazine and via the website at mgcc.co.uk and our safety fast digital archive there. So uh, lots of ways to read more of the stories behind Bridget the Midget as we celebrate 60 years of the MG Midget here in the MG Car Club. And Roy, you've taken on an even bigger challenge, haven't you now? Because uh, you are currently interim general manager of the MG Car Club. How's it going? I think it's
1: a far riskier uh, business than driving around the world, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's going very well. I'm getting fantastic support from the people here at Kimber House. Uh, so uh, you know, they're, they're making it as
0: easy as uh,
1: they could for me.
0: You can get in touch with us here at the MG Car Club. If you're not a member of the club, you can do that really easily. You can join online and that gives you our monthly magazine plus all of the other membership benefits and you get to talk to Roy on the other end of the phone. There's a whole team there at Kimber House that can help you with your MG no matter what era of MG you're passionate about. Find out more at MGCC co.uk or of course continue to listen to this podcast via mgpodcast.uk and subscribe to get new episodes delivered to you automatically Uh, but for now uh, best of luck with being the general manager of the mg car club roy and best of luck on hopefully getting your midget out there for its retirement tour in 2022 and thanks for joining us
1: thanks so much indeed wayne and thanks to all my friends
0: around the world subscribe to receive new episodes of the mg car club podcast at MGPodcast.uk.